Ready? Okay. Give me a beach. Beach. Give me great food. Tacos. Give me adventure. Hiking. Give me a date night. Sunset cruise. Give me some smiles. Cheese. Give me more beaches. Beaches. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Homes.com knows having the right agent can make or break your home search. That's why they provide home shoppers with an agent directory that gives you a detailed look at each agent's experience, like the number of closed sales in a specific neighborhood, average price range, and more. It lets you easily connect with all the agents in the area you're searching so you can find the right agent with the right experience and ultimately the right home for you. Homes.com. We've done your homework. This is Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Here's the Thing. Mark Kudish is a Broadway staple. Romantic lead, comic relief, or villain... If you've been to a musical in recent years, there's a decent chance Kudish was in it. He played the proprietor in Assassins, Gaston in Beauty and the Beast, and the sexist boss in Dolly Parton's 9 to 5. You're so efficient and alert. And the way you look, well, shit, that don't hurt. (laughs) Now please don't think I'm just a flirt. It's just I'm nuts about you Here for you, I'm here for you Kudish got one of his three Tony nominations for that one. When we recorded this conversation, he was just a couple of weeks into a starring role in Girl from the North Country. It's one of the most critically acclaimed performances of his career. He plays the washed-up big-shot Mr. Burke, trying to hold on to his pride and his wife during the Great Depression. But of course, with the rest of Broadway, the curtain has come down on Girl from the North Country while we wait out the coronavirus. On screen, Kudish has carved out a niche for himself, working for the greatest auteur directors in TV, including David Fincher in Mindhunter and Barry Sonnenfeld in The Tick. His current TV role is Dr. Gus, the intense, love-to-hate-him corporate coach in Billions. And if you don't cut down everyone and everything that gets in your way, then they will return, and they will cut you to shreds. And then they will cover those shreds in Bukaki. It's a life he had trouble imagining back in 1989 when he was a senior at Florida Atlantic University, about to graduate and launch his acting career. Kudish had one friend who'd already headed to New York City and was working at a casting agency. So she called me down in Florida. They were casting a new role on the uh, soap opera, All My Children. Mm -hmm. I happened to be in the office of the theater department. She got me on the phone and she said, there's a role I think you'd be perfect for. Please don't tell me you did the soap. 
I didn't get the role. I've done all my kids, yeah, yeah but I mean, I my didn't, first job was a soap. But go ahead. Yeah, listen, man. Good back job. Then, Good those job. were great jobs. Great job. So I flew to New York on my own dime. I slept on their couch. I was there for twenty four hours. I went to the audition. She had told. Everyone, if you like him, he's only here for 24 hours. He's got a job in, down in South Florida, um, which actually I did. I was at the Florida Shakespeare Festival at the time. At the same time while I was there, Pat took me, this will tell you exactly when it was, to Times Square because there was a big benefit at the time to raise money for Mike Dukakis for president. 88. 88. Yep. And Bernadette and Mandy were like hosting the event and I was standing right next to the stage and God bless him, there was Mandy in all of his power singing, brother, can you spare a dime? Oh my God. He was just up there. Once I built a railroad, made it run. <laughs> and it's like, there's like, there's like 10,000. Do you have 000... a few of those in your pocket, these oh, God. imitate singers? Well, I mean, I've worked with Mandy, so yes. I've spent lots of You've time. You've heard that voice in your ear for yes. quite a while. No, there are a couple of people like Eartha. I, I, God bless Eartha. I adore her. I miss her dearly. Eartha Kitt. I do a really mean earth a kid. We're going to get there. Right. So you were there in the shadows of Mandy? In the shadows of Mandy and Bernadette, and it was like, that was it for me. I'm like, I'm moving to New York as fast as I freaking can, because I have to be here. I got my equity card from the Caldwell Theater Company in Boca Raton, because I didn't want to move to New York unless I had my equity card. You know, that was important to me. And then the minute I got my card, I was in a U-Haul. 24 hours later, I moved to New York City. Where? Uh, uh, I moved to 71st between Broadway and Columbus, basement apartment with a buddy of mine. Cafe Luxembourg, baby. You right, right there, right across the street, 600 bucks a month for that apartment for two guys. <sighs> yeah, back look, then. Look, man, even when I moved to the city, like, you didn't go above 86th Street, right? Like, yeah. like you Wild, didn't go Wild above 80, It was like, and uh, you didn't go, and you didn't go into Times Square. You no. did not go into Times Square. No. Not even during the day did you go you into Times Square. You didn't go Times across Square. the park. No. You didn't cut through the park at night. All the benches were broken. All the lights were broken. It was a fascinating place back then. I remember, like, you know, and and I remember at night, you would walk with your head down. You would walk with your head down, and you'd walk in the street, and you'd watch the shadows behind you. That's why you walked with your head down, so you could see the shadows yeah, of anybody get walking. Low. And you just got into that practice of it. I mean, I remember there was a night that I moved to, to town with my friend Stuart Clark and, and Rachel Bay Jones. Mm -hmm. We we all moved up here together. And um, and I remember, like, she got here earlier than we did. And, like, two weeks she got here, she got a Broadway show. And we were both like, oh, geez. And, um, like, is that how it works for everybody or is that just for a select few? And the minute I got to town, the first thing I did was I walked five blocks north, five blocks south. Okay, that's a 10-block radius, right? Then the next day I got up and I walked another five blocks north and another five blocks after that south. Eventually, I got to the theater district from 71st Street, right? And on my third day here, I walked into a restaurant and I applied for a wait job and I got it. And so I started waiting tables immediately. And it was fascinating. And that's how I met people, you know, and I met my buddy Rick Clements, who was a bouncer. But I mean, it was such a wild experience to go into a, a show in New York and off Broadway. And I'm off Broadway now, you know, I just got into the city a couple months later and I'm where, which is where I'd always wanted to be. Like you worked at Circle Rep. Yes. I'd, that was my dream. 89, yeah. Moving to New York City, working for Circle Rep. That's the oh, kind of work that I wanted to do. Yeah. 
Because I didn't sing. I didn't sing at all. That wasn't what you I did. You didn't. I didn't sing a is note. That, is it really true? I did not How, sing, no, no, This man. is such a powerful inspiration. You say you don't sing. Where, okay, I want to know. I want to know. Okay, when wait, wait, does wait, wait, that wait. change? All right, I'll tell you. I wanted to get into music theater. I remember I had auditioned early for... Kiss of the Spider Woman. And I was at the final call for that, and I was auditioning for one of the roles. And Hal Prince comes up on the stage. And this is back in the day when you actually audition on the Broadway stage, not in some small room, up on the stage. Oh, yeah. I did that at Peter Hall. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Very intimidating. And, 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 and Hal comes up on the stage, and he's like, Mark, you know I love you as an actor, but I really need a singer for this. I mean, I had people telling me, Mark, you don't sing. You just don't sing. I had casting directors say, why do you want to audition for musicals, Mark? You're an actor. People know you as an actor. They like you as an actor. But I, I liked music theater, and I was an arrogant son of a bitch. I mean, I just thought, like, well, damn, these people cannot act, and I can act. Right. So all I have to do is learn to sing a little, dance a little, please. And you also learn in the industry that, like, even as an actor, you're up against other celebrity people that are up for the same role as you, you better expand your horizons if you want to work, right? So I get uh, Gaston, and as I'm in the show and I'm working, I have this wonderful dresser. Eric was his name. He's an ex-bass operatic singer. And one night, he's literally tying me into that damn leather outfit that Gaston has to wear because, like, that's how you get in the costume. They tie you into that sucker. And he's lacing me into that thing. And he says, you have such a beautiful voice, Mark. And I said, thanks, dude. I appreciate that. And he said, it's too bad you only use 25% of it. This is right before a show. Now, obviously— I the, beg your pardon, Eric. Did you say something? No, seriously. Like, I looked at him, and, and what you want to say is, F you. You bitch. Like, literally, <clears throat> dude. But what came out of my mouth was, then what do I do? Because I knew he wasn't wrong. Mm-hmm. And then he just handed me Alan, Alan Seal's card. Um, and I went and I met with my teacher, Alan Seal. And I walked in and I'm like, I've had lessons with other people. I'm not sure if I'm a tenor or I'm a baritone. And he's like, well, let's not worry about that. Let's just hear you. And I worked with him for an hour. By the end of that lesson, Sound was coming out of me that I didn't know I could do. And literally, I was like— Is he still alive, Alan? Oh, yeah. Alan's still alive, and Alan is teaching, and he's in uh, upper New York, I think. And he got out of teaching voice. Um, Most of his students were um, doing opera in Europe, and he was taking on one or two music theater people. And I mean literally. I'm not kidding you. I, I walked out of there going, I will be back. Um, I didn't know I could make sound like that. So then I went to the theater and I started to try to apply what I had been learning with him. And everyone was coming up to me going, like, what, is, what are you doing? What is this voice? My friend Beth Fowler was like, when did Alfred Drake show up? Because I did <laughs> not sound like that. You know, I didn't. So you sounded completely differently. Completely different. A completely were you different happy? person. I wait, loved wait, it, you, man. It's like being able to pull out a gun. Yeah. And you pull out this gun. You can sing now. Or were you sitting there going, man, this feels good. Give me a task. That's the thing I like. Give me a task, and I will do it. Give me a deadline, and I will do it. And I just was like learning. And that's the thing. I don't think you ever stop learning in this industry or, nor, nor, or in life, and you shouldn't. And I just was like making sound that I'd never felt before. And I knew other people who could. And now I was beginning to understand how they did. So it wasn't this thing that was, you know, uh, out of my grasp. And then I remember stage management sat me down that weekend and said, all right, so let's talk about the new voice. 
Literally, you were not hired with that voice. And I said, uh-huh. And um, are you hurting yourself? Are you okay? I'm, I feel good. Do you take Do some device in your no, pocket? No, literally, they were like, they literally were like. <laughs> Freaked out. Keep doing what you're doing if you feel like you're not hurting yourself. But I need to have people come back and hear you because this is not how you were hired. This is not our show. Well, or this is not who— You change a critical element like that. Exactly, because it was a big difference. And everyone came and saw it, and they were all like, you sound great. Good for you. It it was— That's so wonderful. I appreciate it. And you put it out there. You put it out there. Listen, and I mean, because here's the thing, man. Like, and this is why I say it, because as actors, as classical actors— We get very self-conscious when we're asked to sing because we just don't have the same kind of practice to it. So I had started to work with other teachers and I just didn't feel like there was, I wasn't, it didn't feel comfortable or I I just felt like I wasn't matching personalities. What's the first show you sing in? I mean, when I was in college, it was. What's uh, the first show you sing in in New York? In New York, it was Bye Bye Birdie. That's where I like got my break with music theater was Bye Bye Birdie. That Bye Bye Birdie, it was a national tour with Tommy Toon and Ann Reinking, directed by Gene Sachs. I mean, we were coming to Broadway. That was back in the day when instead of, you know, doing workshops and going to a regional theater, you did a major national tour. And the way that producers would be able to enhance a Broadway run is they'd go out on the road for nine months and that they'd make their money there. And then they'd use that money to open on Broadway. How does Sachs find you to put you in Birdie? So honestly, um, my agents uh, uh, are working for me. Uh, But the problem is I can't be seen for any music theater because I have no musical theater credits. So even with an agent, no one will see me at all. So I'm going to the open calls because I believed in the open calls back then. I figured, screw it. You got to look at me now, even if it's an assistant. I went into the open call of Birdie and I got called back to the main casting director. I went in again and then he brought me uh, three months later into a final call. And this is a true story. So, it's Stuart Thompson is the casting director. And as I'm getting ready, and this is at the Broadhurst Theater where everyone can be seen. And the holding pen for all of the actors is in the balcony. So, everyone is able to watch everyone else's auditions. That's cool. If that's not intimidating enough. So, I'm getting ready to go in there. And I'm wearing my leather jacket. First thing I ever bought in New York City in 88 because that's what a New Yorker wears. I got my black boots with the silver studs and stuff on them. I mean, we're talking very 1990 here. And then as I'm about to go in, Stuart stops me and he says, whatever you do, do not sing sincere. Now, that's the song of the character Conrad and Conrad Birdie. And I just – and I was like, wait a minute. What do you mean not – and he was like, don't sing it. They've heard it. They've heard it all day long. They don't want to hear it. Sing something else. You mean, if you're really sincere. Yeah. If you're really sincere. And he says this to me right before my audition. And he says, okay, go. So now I'm walking down the aisle of the theater and I'm walking by the Weislers, who are the lead producers. And I'm walking by Tommy and there's Ann Ranking sitting next to Tommy. And then there's Gene Sachs sitting there. And I walk up onto the stage and then I walk over to the accompanist. His name's Brad Garside and I'll never forget his name. Because Brad looks at me and he says, are you okay? And I said, they told me not to sing sincere. And he's like, well, what'd you prepare? I said, sincere, that's all I have. That's literally all I have. And he said to me, and I mean it, this is, he said, whose audition is this? And I said, mine. He's like, yours, sing your damn song. So I did. And who was it that said, don't sing sincere? 
Stewart, the, the casting director, don't sing it. They've been hearing it all afternoon. Don't do it. So I got up on the stage, and it's very well known. The first chord of sincere is very clear. You know it's sincere when it starts. So he hits the piano, and we hear that first chord, and all the way at the back of the house, I see Stewart throw up his hands and walk right out of my audition before I've even opened my mouth. But I figured... A, this is the first and last time I'm going to be on a Broadway stage. That's all I got. This is the first and last time I'm going to play this role or sing what this What are the stuff. other numbers? One Last Kiss and... One Last Kiss, a lot of living to do, Whoa. but Sincere is his signature mm. number. So I do it because I'm like, I have nothing to lose here because clearly this isn't going to work out. I mean, the casting director just literally walked out on me. So I did it, and I actually had a good time, and I let myself loose with it. And by the time I got to the end of the song, I was getting applause from everybody else auditioning up in the balcony. And then I tried to run away as fast as I could. I was just so happy, because I wasn't a singer, right? And then I heard Gene yell at me, Mark, come on back. So I came, you want to read? Yes, I do, because I'm an actor, and that's what I know how to do. Then I read the scenes, and that went well. And then I tried to get the hell out there, and then he wanted to talk to me for a while. So then I'm standing there amongst them, these demigods, and he's like, where are you from, Fort Lauderdale? Where's your father from, Brooklyn? Ah, where? Ah, uh, Avenue M. I grew up on K. Okay. Um, and it was this wonderful audition, and he said, thank you so much for coming in. That was great. And then I was walking up, and I was on cloud nine, and then right before I leave, Stuart Thompson stops me looks me in the eye and says, thank you for not listening to me. <laughs> I always remember that movie my dad got from the school. Uh, what, what year did the movie come out? I can't remember. I want to say 60. 66 or something? Six. So, some, some, yeah. so, so I'm a kid. I'm a little child. We're in the backyard of our house. And I think we watched it every night. My mother would make popcorn and cupcakes and Kool-Aid. And when I'm sitting there, you know, sizzling steaks. Just yeah. ready for tasting. <laughs> you know, I mean, I knew yeah. every word. Yeah. We're all running around the house and we're driving my mother around saying, I got a lot of living to do. You know, ba da 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 yeah. da 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 We knew every note. We watched the fucking movie eight times in a row before my father said, okay, enough. We're going to turn that off. And that's a bad movie, man. <laughs> Let's be honest. <laughs> And I, I love that movie. I know everybody loves the movie, and it's horrible. Watch it again. What's with the turtle? The turtle that's Paul running Lind. on the high speed. I know. They're brilliant Paul actors. Lind. All of them. I love them. But, you know, oh, What's God. What's the matter with kids? All those. I remember it's every genius. word. Look, the, the musical genius. is genius. And it when is. it came out, no one had ever done anything like that Bobby Rydell. Oh, my God. Bobby Rydell, who I met when I was on tour. No. Oh, Yeah. Bobby was great, but then Bobby wanted to sing along like like we went to a <laughs> we went to a, a bar afterwards and, and then he went he just, to karaoke of his own song. Yeah, pretty much. It was it was funny. It was fun. Listen, you get to work with these people because it was with Lee Adams and it was with Charles, you know, that wrote the score. I mean, when you get the opportunity to work with these people that built this thing, when I did Bells Are Ringing uh, on Broadway with Faith Prince and you get to work with Adolph and you get to work, yeah. you know, I mean, like when you, Betty Comden and Adolph Green and these were like, you know, 1944, you know, the Oklahoma was 43. They were 44. They were there at the beginning. And you're actually working with these people and you're making changes with these people. You say to, is this like, like, this doesn't make sense to me. Well, no one's ever asked us that in 56 years. There's something to be said for the fact that those of us that are in the theater never want to stop. That's why I love it. Because it's something that is always alive. 
It's not frozen in any kind of time. The minute you take a piece, Bells Are Ringing, or Shakespeare, or Arthur Miller, and you put it on the stage again, it is alive again, and there are questions to be had, and we never stop asking questions. That's why I like the theater. Film and television is great, don't get me wrong, but you can throw down a line and 10 years later, someone can tell you the line that you did in, in, in that film and yes. you, don't, you don't remember that you, or you said that. Or you borrow those lines. Those lines are fillers in my life. It, when I was in college and I still had enough of a, I, I want to sound vain here, but I had enough of a beauty quotient back then when I was young, I'd be with my girlfriend if I'd be leaving, I'd go, Oh, one last kiss, baby, one last <laughs> those, those songs are in your head. They yep. never get out of your head. Because it's every night, and it's alive every night. Actor Mark Kudish, another Broadway great who got started doing edgy small house fare, is Julie Taymor. Her show, The Lion King, with its masks and spectacular headdresses, is the highest grossing show in Broadway history. But the masked choreography had its roots in one of Tamor's earliest experiences in the arts. I graduated high school early and went to Paris at 16. And I lived with this 21-year-old, Deborah Tate, who was a photographer and who was wild. We were living in Paris and, and I mean... When you were how old now? 16. Great. And I went to mime school. I went to Ecole de Mime Jacques Lecoq. Yes, L'École Internationale. Le yes. Le Théâtre Jacques Lecoq. This is where I started really understanding the power of mask, the mask. And even puppetry, She would, this, this crazy lady named Madame Citron, who looked like a lemon. She was like a lemon. She was very brutal. But she would take, we would take objects, brooms and candles and all kinds of objects and make them come alive. You can get a link to my full interview with Julie Taymor by texting T-A-Y-M-O-R to 70101. Coming up, Mark Kudish on his most recent Broadway role, Sondheim and Dungeons and Dragons. That's next. Mom met a lot of your demands over the years. This Mother's Day, get her the Bartesian cocktail maker that makes premium cocktails on demand. In just 30 seconds, have your choice of over 60 premium or seasonal cocktails, all at the touch of a button. Get $50 off on the Bartesian cocktail maker now when you buy one pack of cocktail capsules. So, for all the times you made a mess, get Mom the countertop cocktail system that makes premium cocktails without making any mess at all. For all the times you begged for soda, get her premium cocktail capsules made with real fruit juice and craft bitters. For all the times you demanded tacos for dinner, get her the Bartesian that mixes margaritas in just 30 seconds. Make Mom's Mother's Day and all the 364 days that aren't Mother's Day with a Bartesian cocktail maker at $50 off. Visit B-A-R-T-E-S-I-A-N.com backslash mother now to get $50 off the Bartesian premium cocktail maker. Bartesian, premium cocktails on demand. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. 
For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. I'm Alec Baldwin, and this is Here's the Thing. I'm back with actor Mark Kudish. Girl from the North Country, his most recent performance on Broadway, is a show that's hard to pin down to one genre. It's categorized as a musical because there's music in it. And that's and music con- by? And music by Bob Dylan. <laughs> so it's Bob Dylan's music, but it is Connor McPherson, the Irish playwright. It's his construct. It's his idea. He was inspired by Dylan's music, but it's an original story. It's not an easy thing to take pre-existing music and create a play using it. And I think a lot of the, the pitfall, you know, because there are people that want to call it jukebox musical. Okay, I get it. I got it. You know, you, you don't, you can't take a pre-existing piece and try to shove it into a storyline that it was never intended for. That's always going to feel like it's being bent and trying to be torqued in a way that it was never intended for. There's nothing organic about it. Uh, McPherson wrote. Yeah. Who directed? McPherson. No. Yeah. It, it's so deeply Connor all the way around, even the way that he's taken the music and embedded it within and around the play. No one else could have directed it, you know? He's not precious about his writing at all. He's about the moment. He's not so much about the dialogue. I remember when in rehearsals, he's like, if you can't remember a line, don't worry about the line. Fuck the line. Make something up. Just keep moving forward. It's about the moment. It's about the moment. Had you ever met him before? I'd never met him. I was asked to do a presentation of it, uh, gosh, almost two years ago now at the public theater. And I just was so taken by it. It's very O'Neill-esque, Jack London-esque, Arthur Miller-esque. Like it took an Irishman to write the most American piece of theater that I've done in a long time. This was workshopped at the public? Well, it was originally done in the UK. Right. And it was Dylan, of all people, who had said, if you're going to bring it to the States after it. Because Dylan's people had gone to McPherson and said, hey— Bob is a fan of Connor's work. He would love for him to take his music and incorporate it in a new piece. Connor had never done a musical piece before. So he's like, I'm not sure this is for me. They gave him carte blanche. They let him do whatever the hell he wanted to do. They sent him everything Bob had ever done. And I mean analog, the stuff that you can't get digitally. They shipped it all over there. Was Dylan around? Not at all. Not a bad thing. Yeah, oh, interesting. You know, it was. You know, the first time he ever saw it was at the public. He came and he saw it at the public theater. Um, and, you know, I mean, he had people all around him and they brought him in a little late so that everyone wouldn't be looking over their shoulder to look at Bob Dylan watching his show. And uh, and he was in tears at the end of the night. Oh. He was just in oh. tears at the end of the night. Well, 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 let me ask you this then. That life of the whole day goes by. And then at 6 o'clock, you got to go to work. Mm-hmm. Is there a routine? Because I'm fascinated by this. Is there a routine? For me, I got there early. I got there at 6. Mm-hmm. And I had to let the day ooze out of me and stop thinking about whatever was on my mind so I could really focus. Because I couldn't wing it. I wasn't Peter Firth who could go out there and just dazzle people with his uh, British technique and so forth. For you, what's it like for you? Is there a routine? Is it the same thing all the time? I mean, Warm-ups, at this whatever. point in my life... Um, You've just learned through practice how to just carry things with you and have them. Uh, it's easy for you to access what yeah, you need to access. The emotions are there. 
all the time. I, I, I'm a complicated person. So playing complicated people is not terribly difficult because if you're being honest with yourself, it's available to you whenever you want it. Mm -hmm. It should be controlled and it should be in trust with the other actors that you're on the stage with. I still don't know how it's happened or why it keeps happening the way it does. What I do know is why I walk out on a stage. It's about connection and it's about communication and it's about dialogue. I am an introvert by nature. I am not fueled by applause. I am not fueled by people telling me I'm good. I'm not good with compliments. I prefer not to get them. It's about the audience. What are we trying to say? Why are people spending this much money to come and hear me? You can sit at home and watch Netflix. The less that I put the focus on myself, the more I find there's no problem giving it to them. One of the things I saw you do, because I'm, I'm a huge Sondheim fan, of course I'm talking about Assassins, and I love Victor Garber and, uh, Me too. and the, that original production. I just love that show. And then you guys come along and do this revival. It was a great show. It was a great show. It was. Jim and Yanni, Cerverus. Yeah. Uh, 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 yeah. And I thought you were phenomenal. You Thank were phenomenal. You. And was he around much when you were doing it? Steve, yeah. Yeah, he was around. Oh, yeah. And I'm told it's, you know, it's a little bit intimidating to be doing revivals of his beloved material. I, I think Especially that, one that had a complicated history like Assassins. Yeah, but I mean, like, I think that that's a show that he held really dear to his heart and it never really got the shot that he had hoping. I think of all of his shows, it may be the show he's most proud of. Mm -hmm. I don't want to speak for him, but right. I know the gun song is something that is really special to him for what it stands for. So do, I've never experienced what I experienced on our first preview of Assassins on the Theater uh, before or after. I Dennis. With all of us. <laughs> all of them. But I mean, great. to do that show, oh. which was not political and incredibly political at the same time, right. and it speaks to who we are, and it speaks to our dissonance, and it speaks to the disenfranchised, but it speaks to identity. And that character, the proprietor that I played, did not exist like that originally. So I went to lunch with Joe Mantello, the director, and he pitched me the idea of what he was thinking he wanted to do with the role. And I was like, how do John Weidman and Steve Sondheim feel about that? And he's like, we'll find out. So it was this grand experiment in the middle of this revival. And every time someone had wanted to do a production of Assassins, it had always got postponed because of this or a war or 9-11 because it's a very touchy subject, right? And I'm the one that opens my mouth at the beginning of the show. And to walk out on that first preview and we're on Broadway and the shoe hasn't fallen. We're actually doing 54, it. Correct. At 54, it's 2004, we're into the re-election of George W. Bush. People are agitated and angry, and, you know, you walk out on that Hey Pal, Feelin' Blue. Hey Pal, Feelin' Blue, don't know what to do. Hey Pal, I mean you. Come here and kill a president. Those are the first lines out of the gate, man. And to do that on Broadway, not apologizing for it, and to feel other people's agitation. I've never experienced anything like that again. I mean, you could cut the tension like with a knife. It was so amazing. And when we did talkbacks, the audience wouldn't leave. Right. You know how you usually do like talkbacks and you'll have like maybe a hundred, two hundred, right? No one left. They were all sitting out there and they were agitated and angry. And literally, it was like the talkback wouldn't even be about us talking to the audience. It would be them yelling at each other because of what they had just experienced. Damn you, Lincoln, you righteous whore. Exactly. 
You went to college for political science. I went for political science That's and what I, I switched. Did. Listen, I know you have a political mind, you know, and, and I've always had a political mind. And the reason that I chose theater over uh, political science ultimately was, I remember when my first day in political theory, it was my favorite class. I walked into the room and written up on the board was, all politics are based in failure. How long will this program last until it breaks down or shuts down? How long until we have to amend that program? How long until we have to develop another one to pick up after? And I just thought, I don't know that I want to base my life on the idea of failure. Mm -hmm. And I took theater courses just to lighten the load, right? And I thought, oh, well, that'll be good if I want to go into politics. Then getting out in front of people and, and having practice in that would be good. But I just also felt like... I could focus on telling the truth more than I could focus on the idea of failure. Like, you know, that was also the period of time when um, lobbying was becoming a thing. Like my father was a lobbyist. Now when, you, now, when you moved, you went from Hackensack to Plantation, Florida. That's yeah. where you moved. And your dad had to do that because of work. Yeah. And you, so you grew up your whole life down there. Yeah, I'm from, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm a Florida boy, you know. I mean, to this day, I still use the word dude constantly. Um, you know, it was still pretty rustic, and I loved it. I loved growing up there. You know, we grew up across the street from cow pastures. It was mellow. How many kids in your family? Older brother, two younger sisters. And anybody in the business? No. Uh, my brother, he's the associate dean now at Villanova School of Business, and my sisters, one's in wellness, and the other manages a histology lab. Now, I- I'm saying this with all due uh, uh, regard for you, because I just find this not funny, but I just find it interesting. I mean, you're a big, powerful guy. When I think of Mark Kudish, I think of a guy who's like a big, tough guy. Yeah. You play tough guy roles, but you didn't play football in high school. No. What did you do in high school? Um, I was president of the Spanish club. <laughs> And I was a male cheerleader. No, no, I'm not kidding, man. Right. No, I know. I, mean, I read this. Because that you're a male cheerleader. I mean, I only have stupid things there. You did it because you wanted to get laid? You wanted no, to be the one I guy? No, are you kidding no, me? No, 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 no shame in that. No shame no, in that. No, no, no. You're a young guy. I was in the gifted program. My brother was popular. I was not, man. I was the black sheep of my family, and Could I— Did you want to tell us you were a nerd? I was huge. <laughs> I was a dungeon master back in the days of analog Dungeons oh and Dragons. God. Can you even believe that it's, like, cool now to do that? Oh, my God. There are literal, like, stores and, and cafes dedicated to Dungeons and & Dragons. And, like, when I was growing up, that was, like, the most shameful thing you could do. Um, I know. I was a huge nerd, man. I mean, I wanted to be Carl Sagan. And I was in a class with everyone else that loved those things. And, um... Yeah, I was not popular. God, I can't believe you, because you're so fucking talented. I appreciate you that. You get on stage. When you did Assassin's Creed, I look at my friend and I go, you see that? I go, that's what I want to do. That's Season. what I wish I could do. I go, look at this guy. He's like fucking Paul Bunyan, and he sings like Pavarotti. <laughs> He's like this giant <laughs> figure of masculinity. Oh, my God. Oh, he's singing. I go, that's the fuck what I want to do. But anyway, now that you've done that, did you ever live in L.A.? Didn't you ever want to say, okay, now I want to go do movies and TV, and that means going out there? No, I mean, I had my moment when I really could have gone out there, and I didn't because I, because I wanted to do the theater. And the industry has changed in a really positive way because the kind of things that are being done on television now gives freedom to creative artists to really commit to whatever story they actually want to tell. And because of that... I find that film and television has gotten more theatrical over the years. And because of that, there's more of it here. So as a younger actor, it was really important to me to be a part of theater. And then as I got older and I realized that I was getting tired from eight shows a week and 
television and film was changing in a way that I actually felt like I could be a part of it, that there was something there for me. I mean, you know, I wasn't around when Scorsese was filming in New York. Those are the things that I related to in terms of being an actor. And now there's a plethora of stuff where I feel I connect to it in New York City. And you go shoot billions. Yeah, and man. And you go scream at all those knuckleheads out but there. But I get to be here, man. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And when you do a show like that, uh, how does that come to be? I mean, I mean billions has become kind of like uh, Law & Order, where eventually everyone in Manhattan is going to be on Billions. It has the best recurring cast, I think, on the history of television. Because, like, every actor that you know, particularly in New York City, at some point walks across the screen. But I think another part of it, particularly with that show, is, you know, you have Brian and you have David and you have incredible writing. Brian and David are the creators? They are the executive producers and the creators. Brian Koppelman, David Levine. Got it. And they are amazing at what they do and they create an incredible atmosphere on a set, which, as you know, is something I think that holds enormous value. Describe that. The, the, The atmosphere is what? It's really familial. It's really welcoming. Everybody's jazzed to be there. When you meet the crew and the crew is excited about coming to work, then you know you're on something that has energy to it. It's exciting. It's fun. You know, the writing is good. It's crisp. It's smart. It's fast. There's no apology for the characters behaving badly. Every storyline, every individual show is so smart and fast. Like, it's really unexpected every time I would read a script, Mm -hmm. which is rare. On other shows, you'd have what kind of experience? Oh, crap. Absolute crap. And, you know, describe I won't name the situa- names. Right, but describe okay. the situation. Honestly, I, uh, there was a show. It was, it, was, it was quite a few years ago now. And uh, I literally walked on set. Nobody knew their lines. None of the regulars knew their lines. No one knew Younger, what scene. Younger, older? Uh, both. Right. Interesting. Completely unprofessional. And I had a hard out. And I finally mm-hmm. had to go to the director and say, I have a hard out in 15 minutes and there are three scenes left to shoot. Right. Yeah. And he looked at me and he said, what are you talking about? And he drew me over to one of the, you know, ADs and he just was like, why didn't you guys tell me this sooner? Well, we didn't want to, you know, and then he just We didn't want to upset you with the facts. Right. So then he pulled me into a corner and he said, give me a second. And then he said, okay, if we set up the camera shots and I do the dialogue and we'll just get your POV, are you willing to do that? And I said, yeah, whatever it takes. So they set up three, four different cameras, four different angles. He read the lines with me and I knocked out three scenes in 15 minutes. I shit you not. Isn't that unbelievable? With the entire cast watching as we did it. Finished it and they all applauded. Oh my God, that was amazing. And I'm thinking... You should not be saying that to me right now. You shouldn't be happy while I'm doing this. Exactly. I just was (laughs) like, so, you know, there's a wide variety. And Billions is on the upper echelon of what I think a quality piece of television is or, or, or any filming is. Smart people writing really smart stories and dialogue with incredible actors that you want to be in it with. So it's always fun. You know, and any time I walk on there, the writing is through the roof, and it's absolutely ridiculous, and the character is, I mean, he's insane. It's fun to be that out there. Who is your character on Billions? Dr. Gus. <laughs> I mean, he's, a, he's a performance coach. He's just insane. Who, who are you coaching? Any of the traders. Like, anyone who's behind, who's not picking up their limit, I'm just there to literally scream at them. I mean, so intense, which I love, because it's just the id running wild. You know, I did Glen Gary, Glen Ross, and we shot the scene for three days, and it was so tough. 
Like, oh, let me wipe my feet on your chin. I hated it. But that's the thing, isn't it? You're there to do it, and you can't apologize for it. You know, I've made a career of playing questionable men making questionable decisions. What makes it interesting is you see a guy like that, and you want to hate a guy like that, but you can't help but hearing the truth, even through the hardness of it. It's sticking to the intention of the character that is exciting about doing it. While you wait to see Mark Kudish on Broadway, you can watch him on Showtime in Billions. I'm Alec Baldwin, and this is Here's the Thing. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles, ready for next day installation, and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Hey, guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org.